Okay, so we're in Philippians again. I want us to think about this, this tough act that we've got, this tough Christian calling that we've got of being people who are called to righteousness, to holiness, to people who are to pursue this and not appearing like, I've, put, I've used the word ass in my notes and I've, I've said it now, but I, was, I wanted to be really cautious about it. Paul uses really provocative words in this passage. I don't know if you noticed them. We're going to come back to them. And not appear like an idiot. How do we, how do, we do this? This is our calling. God says, to you, I am holy, so you've got to be holy. And there is all this instruction in the, in, the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament that will lead us to be a holy people. And we sort of see how this plays out, don't we? How do we, how do we live that life this, to be different, to be separate, to be like God, to be like Christ, and not come across as aloof, alien, like a holy jaw, distant, condescending. These are all sort of, I think this, I think sometimes, I wonder if as church, not just you, you know, all the church, we've not explained this great over the years. I recalled, as I thought about this, a conversation that I had 20 years ago, and I don't, my recall's not great. I don't remember many conversations, certainly not from 20 years ago. Um, and so I was a Christian back then, maybe late teens, early 20s, and this was a chat down the pub. I don't know if I should fess up, but I was, you know, I was there. So I was a Christian, and my friends knew I was a Christian, but the only place we really ever talked about Christian stuff is after they'd had a bevy. It was just, that's just how it was. And so I remember this chat that I had with this really good friend of mine, and I remember, so we were good friends forever. We never really talked about Christianity. He always just got shot down or it just, just, it just kind of didn't happen for me or for him. And he said to me, I can remember it clear as day. I remember the pub that we were in, actually the table that we were at in the pub. He said, I, I think about becoming a Christian, but I could, never, I could never keep it up. That's what he said. And looking back now, I you know, he'd got to a place, maybe looking at me or maybe looking at the church, where it was obviously something he thought he would have to work away at. And, and it kind of haunts me now looking back. He's gone on to be a Christian and find faith, which is really good. But in that moment, he looked at me or he looked at us. And I think as people do, people look at the church and go, well, what is it then to be holy? And I think, I think the picture that we've painted over the last 2,000 years if I'm being really honest, if, if you've been church all your life, you might want to defend the position. If you're new to church, you might be happy to critique it. I think we've, it looks muddled sometimes, how we come across what, what holiness is. And often, it looks like um, sort of actions that you've got to do, works that you've got to do. Like you, you climb some sort of ladder to, righteous, to the righteous point. I do this thing that's good, I do this thing that's good, and all of a sudden, I'm heading my way up to the top. I want to talk to you about Philippians 3. I think Paul has, I hope this word's right, something like an epiphany. Just a moment of like crystal, like have you seen Jerry Maguire? Anyone seen Jerry Maguire? He has that, he's that, that kind of thing where he has this epiphany and he looks back on his life and it's, all of a sudden everything becomes really clear and it changes everything. Paul has that about this, faith and works. He has that moment of light bulb goes on, penny drops for him, what, this, what God is, what this faith story is and everything becomes crystal clear and it's something like this hard work of keeping the law which it was these good works had not made him holy this was the epiphany but but meeting encountering the risen god jesus coming across the cross that had made him holy that was the epiphany what we're going to do a couple of things 
And this, is, this will be a, don't worry, this will be a short sermon. We've got three points, three point sermon. I want to I go through the epiphany um, because there's some like, there's some tricky words and tricky concepts. I just want to pan through it because I think if we get this, I want to labor through it a little bit. If we get this issue wrong, like my mate back in the pub, if we don't have a firm grasp of what makes us righteous, if we paint a bad picture, we can point people the wrong, we can get people who are going to want to start from the wrong place. They're not going to know what faith is. Equally, we can be on the faith journey ourselves and we don't get this story right. We end up doing stuff. We think that that is what's going to save our souls. We end up veering off down some other path. So I want to, I want to go through the epiphany, go through the text. And the other thing I want to do, it's the it's start of the year. I still think we're all of a mind. Maybe, maybe you've dropped it. Still of a mind to make resolutions and embrace the year. Have you all blown your resolutions already? You're all like, I'm, day two, I'm eating again, or I'm, whatever you're doing again, it's all, it's all gone off. I, I still think we're in that place. And I want to, I think the same way Paul does in this text, you'll see Paul gets some things that he's like, you want to hang on to this, you need to drop this. So for 2019, I've got three things, things that I think I want you as church, us as church, to go, right, we need to have, this is something that the Bible points us to be something that's worth fighting for, a resolution worth keeping, and there's some stuff that we need to ditch. So that is, uh, that is the sermon. So the first, I'm going to start right, verse one in the passage, and the first point is this encouragement, something to hold on to. Paul asks us to hold on to our joy I got, you, got, you can't say that word with a, without smiling because you've got to at least come across like you're up for it. Got to hold on to your joy in the Lord. That's, that's the expression. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and again. And it's a safeguard for you. So when I, when I read that, I'm aware that Paul's been to this place. He's been to Philippi. He's birthed this church. He cares about this church. And as I read through that, I'm kind of like, you've said this to these people before face to face. When they've been mourning to you about how hard it is to be a Christian, you've looked them in the eye and gone, rejoice in the Lord always. And the way that he writes the letter is like saying, I'm telling you again about this. I don't mind if it comes across a bit naggy. I don't mind telling you again because it's important for you. Rejoice in the Lord. We never, somebody tells us to be happy. I don't know if you're anything like me. We never receive that information well, do we? Somebody tells you, like when somebody comes across to you and goes, oh, just give us, a, give us a smile or something like, it might never happen. We never receive, that's never something you want to hear, is it? That's always like, you always kind of want to say, well, I'm, I'm upset. You know, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a bad place. This is, a, this is a tough thing for me. You've got, it always feels a bit uninformed. Do you know what I mean? When somebody comes, and I've been the one that said it and it has been uninformed. Oh, come on, just give us a smile. Like you've got no clue in this life what's going on in somebody else's life and if, if something's happening enough for them to have a face that suggests they're not happy it's probably quite severe we never receive that information well so how sh- why should we receive this information well from Paul I'll give you two reasons first one the main overarching one is because it's because it's directed towards God take joy in the Lord so he writes from prison so somebody Somebody who's having the best day in the world looks at you having the worst day in the world and goes, come on, give us a smile. You can eg- from me, you can ignore them people if you want to. Just go ahead and ignore them. But Paul writes from jail. Just, you know, could die any minute, persecuted, 
in chains, really desperate circumstances. When anybody writes to you in that kind of circumstance, you want to listen to them. And that's, that's, that's what these people do. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. When somebody writes to you from that, going through that kind of trouble, you can listen to them. But not only that, think about where he shapes their joy. We get this, read, read through, sometimes when you watch Christians or you read through texts like this, you've got the image of the jolly vicar. Rejoice always, just kind of almost psychopathically happy the whole time about everything, just like giddy and joyful, oh, this is fine, this is fine. I don't think, I don't think we're called to that. I think the joy, and this is 2019, this is my sort of resolution for you, the joy is quite specific, it's quite directed. It's take joy in what God is doing. Have some joy there. God, and this is, this is for us, maybe if you're not feeling very joyful at the moment, I don't mind nagging you about this because the Bible says that I can take joy in that God knows everything and he's going to put it all right. Take joy that God is making even us stubborn Yorkshire folk new. He's changing us around. Take joy in the fact that, that you're able to forgive that annoying relative or whoever it is who's driven you mad over Christmas. Take joy that you've got grace for them because God has got grace for you, take joy that God is working in you. Take joy in these things. Take joy that he's provided you with a church. And you can sing worship songs like that. Take joy in what God is doing. Not just psychopathic, generic happiness. That's not what we're called to. We're called to take joy. And this, this next bit read really weird. And I had to read it over and over again. What sort of, he sort of directs this joy even more. He says, here's, here's why. What's the next couple of lines say? Because it's a safeguard for you. Because it'll keep you. It's a funny thing, this. Because it'll keep you safe. So Paul's a thousand miles away in Rome, which in these days, it's not like now, a thousand miles, you can Facebook, whatever else. Face, Facebook. Come on, FaceTime. You can, you can you know, it's, it's, it's nothing, is it? A thousand miles, and you may as well be on a different planet. But Paul is able to. Hang on, let me find my lines. Where have I gone? Paul has got such a care for these people. And such and it, and the way it manifests itself is like is 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 a long way from him. He's like, I want I want to care for you, I want to look after you. Here's how I'm gonna go about doing it. Do you know when so I get this, when people are loved ones are a long way from you, you wanna and you're on the end of a telephone line, you want to do something that shows that you care. You do some really stupid things, actually. You'll ring up and you'll go, oh, how can I look after him? Watch the roads. You'll say something like, you'll say, watch the, or make sure you eat well, or make sure you get some sleep. You want, to off, you, want to, you want to protect them somehow from all this distance. You want to go, what have I got here? I've got, not, I've got nothing. I've got some, a few words of wisdom. So Paul's words of wisdom to protect them were, take joy in the Lord that will be the thing that will keep you safe. This church, this church that is birthed and is planted, that looks really fragile, he says, take joy in the Lord. This little, he says, you, you little community, and I'm kind of pointing at you, this, like I've got no idea, what is there obviously, there are probably about 100 people in our church, I've got no idea, you might have had a rubbish 2018, you might be thinking, well that means I'm going to have a good 2019, it's all going to be good for me. I don't know what will happen, the likelihood is, for some of us it could be really tough, Paul writes this letter, and for some of them, it's like, this could be a really tough year for you. This, you could be hanging on to this little church when the Romans get in. And he writes them, and he doesn't say, 
He doesn't say you should get some bodyguards when you have your church services, that would be a good idea. He should, he doesn't write to them and say you probably need thicker doors, keep the Romans out. He writes to them and he says to this little community, if you want to survive, take joy in the Lord. Keep the joy in the Lord. Here's, here's my prayer for you guys. Here's, here's my hope for you guys is that, is that this year, no matter what comes along, because we don't know, we don't know what's coming along this year. We don't know what is in front of us, that we will survive by taking joy in the Lord. First thing to hang on to. Second thing, thing to drop. And this is one of those messages. I am, pride is my thing. I'm a Messed that up all my life. Pride is my thing. So if it's for anybody, it's for me. But point two, the thing to drop is drop your ego. You want to get near to God in 2019. You want to lose your ego. So there's a, there's a back story to the text that I've, got to, that I've got to give you. And so I'm, I'm, I'm explaining this a little bit because I don't know if you, how much attention you were paying to Chris when, when he was reading out the words. But some of, some of the language is pretty distant, is it? Circumcision. And dogs and other things. So I'm gonna, yeah, I'm this. I've hung it on three words, to, um, and I've picked provocative words as Paul does, so that you remember them. So the first one is dogs, deeds, and dung. Okay, yeah, that's all in the Bible. Dogs, can't forget. You can't forget that, can you? Forget everything else I say. You'll you'll come back through dogs, deeds, and dung. So this is this is how I'm going to explain the sort of the backstory. So Christianity's got its roots. In, in the Hebrew nation, their sign of a promise to God was circumcision. So you read through the Old Testament, it comes up, and it's, I can't even, I can't not wince when I think about it. I just, the, that's their promise to God, that was their whole thing. Christ comes, and all the promises for his people, for us, are found in him. So there are things that, that, they used to happen that don't need to happen anymore. And Paul sees these, you know, this church is birthed and he sees people coming in who are really like wrestling with this idea that you just drop all that stuff. And they're coming back into the church. They're seeing new Christians come from out of Judaism. People get saved and they're saying, oh, by the way, that's fine. But you need to, and I say it again with a winch, you need to be circumcised or you need to do this or you need to do that. And he says to them, these people are dogs. And he gives them this one. He says, watch out. And this is the warning that applies to us. Watch out for anybody who tells you that you need to add stuff to Jesus in order to maintain your faith. And he says to him, if, if anybody should have reason to have confidence that a good life is enough, it's me. And then he gives them this, he gives them this rap list of how awesome he is. is I was circumcised makes a boast about it because it's the promise of God. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. He said, I'm, a, I'm an Israeli. I'm, and he says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, look, I can point my way right back to how you should know that I'm from God. He, he keeps the law. And how well does he keep the law? How much does he do good? He keeps the law to the level of a Pharisee. And as for, as for zeal, he demonstrates it by killing people. He just says, I am faultless. He says, I am the, of all the people you could look at, I am the best of these people. And, and I have lived the best life, the most prescriptively good life that you could live. And yet, what does he say after this? He, he, I think he's really careful about this word. And I don't know how close it would be to a swear word. It's translated garbage in here. It's translated differently in other, in other translations. And some commentators think it probably is a swear word. Other, think, other ones think it's just a really harsh word. He says, I consider all them 
like garbage. Maybe that's an American translation. I consider all them rubbish. I consider all of them like what you do with your waste. All these good works. The question I've got is, why, how does he come to this point of epiphany? How does he find himself in this headspace? So there's a couple of penny droppers that I want to, you know, things that I want you to think about that I think really inform us about our human nature. The first thing is, this is pretty much, as he describes himself, the best, most hardworking, good man on the earth. Think like, think like Mother Teresa, if she invented penicillin and she kept, a, I said, a rare breed sanctuary in her back garden or something like that, and she also fought for gender equality. Think that, that these, these are, this is kind of how Paul describes himself. He's like, I am, my experience is that I'm the best guy, and yet, think about this, all these good works that I do, the Bible describes him as somebody who is kicking against the gods. He knows, even though he's done all this good stuff, that, that it's not fixed him inside. Really weird concept, isn't it? It, challenges my, it should challenge us as human beings. We think that we do good things. We think that we go around and we do good things. That that should make us good. And yet Paul says, look, I've done all the good things. Everybody's been blessed because of me kind of thing. I've, you look at me, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And yet inside, he's still corrupted. It sort of got me thinking about, about how good works work. When, when we do them, this kind of, you kind of look at it and you go, surely there's no, there's no damage with good works, there's no harm can come with good works. Surely everyone's a winner, somebody does a good thing, everyone gets a lift, don't they, when, when we do good works. Yet, there is, there is kind of one little flaw with the good works, so everybody else gets a blessing from your good works. But have you ever realized how hard it is after you've done something good not to let your ego get puffed up? A bit. Do you have that? You do, kind of a, you do kind of a good thing and then inside you're like, yeah, that was, that was pretty awesome today. I, that, that was kind of me to help that person along the road. And, and it's kind of a t- the tiniest little thing, but your ego is a little bit boosted. And I don't know where, I don't know where it started for Paul. It, it, you know, I, I don't know when the, when the little things became the big things. But one day he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he comes across somebody perfect, an act in the cross that just blows his mind. And as he looks back at all the deeds of his life, he sees them for what they are. Even the best of them, he sees the blemish in them. He sees the corrupted nature of them. And he says, these deeds are rubbish. And in this moment, I think the penny drops as to, as to what what, what righteousness and how to be holy is, it's not something that you work towards. This is his big realization. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. That's, that's what he gets. He looks at this story of meeting, he looks, he looks at this character of Christ, he meets him on the road to Damascus, and, he, and his heart is pierced. And he says, now, now I look at the world and I look at it differently. I look at it differently to what I did then. Faith, righteousness is found in faith. And I guess he realizes brutally that he's got to drop his ego 
it's not getting him anywhere near to God. So keep your joy, lose your ego. Third thing, and I guess this is kind of the, the climax of the epiphany that Paul has. Hold on in 2019 to the part of this story. I say this to us as church. Hold on to the part of this story that moves your heart. So much of Christianity that we hold on to. There's so much of Christianity that we hold on to. Some traditions, some niggles, you know. There's so much that we like God that we keep it really near. I think this is, this is the challenge, this passage, that Paul puts in front of us. He says, hold, dearest, the part of this faith story, the part of the word of God that moves your heart so that you see the world in a righteous way. Let's backtrack through the text um, to find out you know, why, why he comes up with this and, and what he says about it. But whatever were gains to me, verse 7, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider him garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So here he goes. I want to know Christ because he's figured out this is the key to everything. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I strain to what's ahead. I press on to this goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. He realizes that the game changer, the thing that, that moved him eventually, the thing that made him right in the end, wasn't all these works that he'd, that he'd spent his life doing. It was this cross this is what moved him. And in the text, we see that he sees that this is the game changer. He sees that this is the heart mover. And he says, I need to, if I'm going to live this life outright, if I'm going to stick with this, I need to immerse myself in this. I need to have this story of the cross right as near to me as I can make it. And that's what we do in life, isn't it? When we come across something that moves our hearts, it's a human trait, isn't it? We immerse ourselves in it don't we that's what happens when, when like if, you're a, if you're a Star Wars fan you come across the, the story of Star Wars and actually that escapism or something about that good bad story that just moves your heart you don't just when somebody comes around you say I'm a big Star Wars fan here's my, here's my DVD of Attack of the Clones I'm such a big Star Wars fan you say you, you go out and buy the toys you know the story it, it, you, you go out and play Star Wars even as grown men sometimes you go out and just imbibe that storyline when you, when you fall in love with somebody, you don't just say, this is, this, is, this is my love, Sandra. I see her twice a week down at the coffee house. I love her. You don't, that's, not, that's not how it is with love, is it? You, you, you fall in love with somebody. You say, I need to be with you every second of every day. I, I need to know what you know. I need to share life with you. I need to share a future with you. It's massive. And, it, and you say, I need to partner with you in life. I want to put up with all your bad habits. I want to embrace all your, you know, I want to know all your stories. I want to have everything when you fall in love with somebody. Think about what we do with this cross. 
And we all gather here perhaps because at some point it's changed our lives. We've got this cross and we say, yeah, this cross has moved my life. I love it. I see it twice a week on a Wednesday. And I've got this book, the Bible. Paul says we need to immerse ourselves in it. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to participate in his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death. So it's like, I want to, this has changed me this moment. This is what he's saying. This moment has moved my heart. Nothing else did. Nothing else got me over the line. But somehow seeing this, this has got me over the line. I want to, I want to know this person. I want to study this person. I want to, I want to somehow try and understand the power of his resurrection. I want to get that. I want to understand what that means. I want to, this, this word again that comes up in Philippians, I want to partner. I want to fellowship in his sufferings. I want to share this. I want to put myself in a spot where I'm declaring his glory that might even come with some suffering because, because I want to know the story more. I want to, and he says these lines, cut you deep. I want to become like him, even become like him in his death. It's like I want to, I want to know what it's like to not have anything at all like he did but him so that this story can move me and it can change me. The story of the cross, that's what he gets. That's the penny dropping moment. It's this story. It's this act of good. Three, three resolutions, three things to think about for 2019. Hold on to your joy in the Lord. It's the best medicine for life. We'll need it in 2019. Drop your ego as much as you can. It doesn't get you any nearer to Christ. And meeting Christ will show it up for what it is. And stay near to a story that moves your heart.